Welcome to the Francisca Show podcast, a part of JewishCoffeehouse.com. The show on where I give a voice to Jewish issues, topics, and people. I'm Francisca, your host. Welcome back, Francis. I am so excited to be back here. We have some fresh new energy, fresh topics. This one I am a little bit scared to release, but we have to take chances in life. And I have been looking into different advertisers for this podcast. I haven't found the right fit yet. However, ideally, if there was one message I would want to share with my audience and really drill it in every single week, it would be we got to get everyone signing prenups and postnups, the halachic ones, obviously. And education plays a vital part in bringing systematic change. So when I ask myself, what message is what I want to hear consistently on this podcast? It would be this. That's a side note. Next thing I want to mention is, well, besides for being super excited to release the next nine episodes we have in the queue and all the ones that are scheduled <laughs> to be recorded, I am working on right now four albums simultaneously. It is definitely keeping me busy, but not as busy as the podcast launch business that I'm growing. I am so happy to be helping podcasters launch and grow their shows. So please keep having me in mind. Your support really drives the growth of my business. So thank you. And one last thing before we get started, it is with so much relief that we're able to say that the hostages in the synagogue in Texas were released unharmed, Bar Hashem. And I'm really curious what you're going to think of this episode. We're going into new territory here, and I'd love to hear from you as I do every single week. So without any further ado, enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Francisca Show, Francis. Today on the podcast, we have a super interesting guest and super interesting topic because we're going to be talking about the divorce process from the male's perspective and today specifically one man's perspective. Unfortunately, divorce is already a bitter situation and disclaimer for anyone who needs a trigger warning and does not want to listen to this feel free to log off today. We'll have other episodes for you. But today, if you are staying on with us, I'd like to introduce our guest, Avi, who will be talking to us about his personal experience. We'd like to understand the perspective of a man going through a divorce who feels like the system is unjust, either the, or both the based in and the civil court system. We'd like to hear what your experience has been, and maybe we can change your mind or open up new ideas and perspectives on how things are. Tell us a little bit about the beginning of the divorce process. Every divorce starts differently. And in my case, I was completely unprepared. I just thought we were going through the usual crisis in life, the ups and downs of marriage. And although theoretically, in hindsight, I could see reasons for wanting to get divorced, many People today feel like I was raised in a manner where you have to work on a marriage. So it left me completely unprepared for my personal divorce. And the sad issue was that it became apparent 
immediately when the divorce in my case, like as in many cases, didn't come up in the form of a conversation where we spoke about getting divorced. It just came to me literally as to some men in total shock. There's a saying like the last person in the world to know that they're getting divorced is actually the husband. Where's the saying from? I've never heard it. Where's the saying from? A lot of times people will chat with their friends about their unhappiness, but they won't communicate their unhappiness to their partner. Can you describe some of the problems you were having and maybe how you were attempting or were you at the time attempting to fix them? Yes. See, what happened was, is that if I go to the actual time of when, uh, of how my personal divorce played out, my immediate response was to try to work on the marriage and to try to save the marriage. So one of the downsides to that is when you're trying to save a marriage, then tactically, you're not trying to go on an offensive. You're just trying to to stay poised and relaxed. And you're totally shocked because realistically, you have no idea what's actually taking place and you wind up finding yourself in literally a state of shock. But to some extent, the shock is not just from the divorce process, but how the divorce process transpires. So before we go into that, what were some, if you're comfortable sharing, what were some of the marital issues you thought were workable on? And that's just how marriages are when they're difficult and you work through them. I like to try to understand or for our listeners to understand what seemed like a deal breaker for your wife or your ex-wife and what seemed like workable situations within a marriage. So I get a feeling that there's a certain expectation on the perfection of a marriage, meaning there's this idea that marriage is supposed to be something perfect, and it isn't. Because of a generational gap, there are certain things which we, most of our parents, at least my generation, I'm in my 40s. So most of our parents' generation maintained a marriage despite the ups and downs. And we have this some of us have this general perception as if our parents had the perfect marriage as opposed to ours. And we should aspire to having that same type of relationship when there are a lot of things that factor in today, which change the course of a marriage, things that were socially accepted in our parents' generation. Give me an example. Oh, okay. So in our parents' generation, it was main, the, first of all, the father was definitely the main breadwinner. And the mother was the housewife. And that change in, in itself has created a major problem, which, which has caused a lot of people to have problems today in the divorce process. Because in the, in the current generation, there are so many men which are highly involved with raising their children that when it comes around to divorce, the custodial issue is paramount. and guys are literally fighting an uphill battle for even just equal custody of their children. And their the fight uphill is only because of this idea that, that society still feels that women know or women and mo- or mothers know how to raise children as opposed to fathers. And the father is not, not in tune with the child's needs. And it, a lot of it is preposterous and it's made based 
It's literally sexist. Did some research and it seems like at least American courts, civil courts, the assumption is the custody agreement is going in, assuming there's no extreme circumstances. It's 50-50 versus in Basin, there is a bias toward women having full custody. Do you disagree with my statement? Where in Israel? In Israel, actually, there is. Uh, Okay. In the United States? No, actually, the truth of the matter is, if the basin were actually to act in a proper manner, based on a halach manner, the truth of the matter is that most people are unaware that based on the halachic stance, when a couple gets divorced, as long as the father is not interested in raising the children, the mother can raise the children. But there's been a lot of societal changes and meaning which today it's socially accepted that women raise the children and women did raise the children back historically. But in the divorce proceeding, it is the woman who is let free and the father has the opportunity to raise the children. But from a modern standpoint, a lot of people see the mother as the primary caregiver of the children. And it creates a lot of problems. But you're contradicting yourself because you said that it used to be the automatic thing was the woman because the wives were the housewives and the men were the breadwinners. Whereas today in modern society, women are working, which based on what you're saying. There's a halakh standpoint. And then what we would go, we'd look at what's been going on, let's say, in the 20th century. In the 20th century, it was socially accepted that up until recently, that the default would be that mothers would have custody of children. And even when you say joint custody, it doesn't necessarily mean a 50-50 split. It just means that both parents have equal rights as to parenting the children, but there may be uh, a split of 70-30, even though it's considered joint custody. It doesn't necessarily mean that the children are living by both parents' homes. And when I say joint custody, I means that what it generally infers that the primary home is the mother's home, unless agreed otherwise. Just to reframe, you feel like the based in process and the civil court process was biased toward your ex-wife getting most of the custody. Is that accurate? I wouldn't say that they were biased. I would just say that the way, at least in many cases, at least in the United States and here in Israel as well, a lot of custodial battles are not are not started out in court, whereas they're started out in a whole different. Where are they started uh, out? Oh, there's so basically what happens here, at least, and it's becoming quite common, is that in particular, women who want to get divorced need, at least in Israel, there's no such thing as no fault divorce. Whereas in the United States, you can, in a civil court, you can have a no-fault divorce, meaning both couples just have irreconcilable differences and want to get divorced. But to obtain a get, you need a valid reason to get divorced. So one of the most common things that women will do in Israel is they will make false allegations against their husbands in the days preceding their decision to get divorced. And by doing so, the minute a false allegation is made to the police, a man is automatically evicted from their home. 
without even checking whether the uh, claims are factually true. And what happens is that de facto, the mother winds up staying with the kids and she plays on this theory of abuse or, or the allegations that are made or the, in particular, the, whether it was a threat or the feeling of a threat, which basically transpires throughout the entire divorce. So what she does is she goes to the police and she claims, I felt threatened and a husband has no idea what he's being, even being interrogated about, which was basically my situation. And then I found myself suddenly evicted from my own home. And in particular, also from my children. And now this is called a restraining order. However, what happens from that point on is you take that restraining order and then you run it to family court and you make that same claim and you highlight it by saying, here, I have a police complaint and no family court wants to take any chance. So they will offer the woman to have a protective order. You're basically separated by making these claims. And then you run simultaneously into the rabbinical court and you say, look, I've dealt my entire life with some form of abuse and my husband is dangerous to me and dangerous to the kids, which gives a validation to getting that divorce. And the major problem there is that at least in Israel, there is no default. There's no default of joint custody. In fact, According to the law here, if a couple cannot, by law, children under the age of six, by default, stay by their mother and they don't even have, they have no burden of proof. So if you have three children and one of your children is under six, so that already creates a problem within itself. And then what happens here is that the court system really does not know how to deal with children. So what they do is they forward the case to social services. And basically, the way social services work in Israel is that pretty much all the social workers who give advice to court wind up being women. And they literally just tend to side with the wife who's already coming in with this, with the police complaints and the dangerous husband and his client coming in with the sob story and that the father is dangerous to the children. So basically, you created literally custody by default of making false allegations and taking advantage of the law. Okay, so what are your options at this point? And if you're comfortable, are you willing to share being on the list for 11 days? What do you mean by 11 days? You said you were on a get refusers list. So what happened here is that the, in my case, the allegations were made. And de facto, I was separated by my, by the advice of my wife's attorney, who told her to just make these false allegations so that the children would be by her when simultaneously she was asking for a get in the Beth Din. And in Israel, there are two court systems. There's the Beth, there's the Beth Din and there's the family court system. The family court system is actually a fairly modern court system. It was only opened in 1995, whereas historically the Beth Din used to deal with all the issues. They still do, which are custodial, financial, and the get. Whereas as of 1995, they opened the family court due to the fact that many non-religious people felt that they weren't in tune with the family court. So issues that were not related to the get, which were financial and custodial, 
were were dealt separated. with. Separated, yeah. Were separated, separately. but they could be dealt in the family court. What's quite sad is that there are many religious women. What they do is, even though they're supposed to be going to the basin and they know they're supposed to be going to the base, is they go to the family court with the police complaints and the protective orders, and they handle the financial and custodial issues in the family court. And they're simultaneously asking for a get in the rabbinical court. So what happens here is basically you're separated children. Simultaneously, your wife is asking for a get. And initially, you're actually trying to save the marriage. And in my case, whether or not, and I'll just say this straight out forward, I am completely against get refusal, which is very, which I've told many people. The problem here is that the issue, there, there are issues which do need, which do need to be resolved and can be resolved during this entire process. So what happens here is that you want to resolve and primarily the primary issue, which I find, which is paramount today is the custodial issue. So I was basically, I reached a certain point where I basically told the, I told my wife that if you are so unhappy with this marriage, I will raise the children, or if you want, we can raise them jointly. But she didn't want to have any of that. She just wanted to raise the kids on her own. And by virtue of being in, not even in custody of the kids, but she was just holding the kids like as hostage and involving the kids in the entire divorce. Because I did not have normal visitation. I did not have nor- a normal relationship from the kids from the date this, this started. And, and in the end result, I told the base and I said, look, I actually came in. And the Basin is very well aware that there was a custodial issue going on in the uh, family court. I came to Basin and I told them something very simple. I said, let me work on the marriage. Even though I understand that my wife does not want to be married to me because a get needs to be given willingly. I don't want to I don't want to go into the actual specifics of the get. Okay. I want to talk more about you keep go you go into two separate spaces and they contradict each other. So I want to clarify here more if that's Okay. okay. One thing you're saying is. Fine. If the ex-wife doesn't want to be in the marriage anymore, then fine. It's a custody issue. So the get is about the custody issue. On the other hand, you're saying I want to work on the marriage and she doesn't want to work on the marriage. So then it sounds like it's not a custody issue. It's still I'm not ready to get divorced issue. So which one is it? And then I have a follow up question to that. Okay, it's actually both. They're both intertwined into one another. So how are they intertwined? They're intertwined by the fact that on the one hand, this, at least in my case, this sort of came to me by shock. So I wanted to at least under to make the get, give a kosher get by at least giving it last shot and simultaneously working on the children so that the children don't come out hurt from this entire divorce. And the only condition that I made was that in the event that we do get divorced, there would just be an even distribution of the time frame of the kids. And as many people told me, and this is where one of the problems 
that evolved was that many people told me the get does not include the children. So what happened was, is that I felt that, that my wife just took a, a course of action, which allowed her to be in technical custody of the children while obtaining the wars. And what's very frustrating about the whole experience was that I almost find that it would, she would have possibly not even considered getting the divorce if she wasn't able to take that course of action, meaning filing the filing police complaints and gaining technical custody in the process. She could have walked out of the house and said, I'm not happy. I would have fought for the marriage. And at a certain point, I would have obviously reluctantly had given her the get. And I would have been, I would have raised the children. I was happy raising the children. But the real issue was that the whole topic became intertwined. And that's why it became so frustrating because it shouldn't have been. We could have, the, the issue could have been resolved well ahead of time. And what happened was dragged out and it's dragged out for years now as a result of not being resolved. I'll put on my coaching hat, if I may, or my interviewer hat, if you allow. And I'd like to just consider some possibilities. Number one, what I've heard from a lot of content that I consumed is that by the time people come to get, the marriage is over already to the point where trying to save it had to happen before then. And it sounds like in your case, it was a shock. And I'm wondering, can it be that she has expressed unhappiness or things not, not working but you were just completely unaware because of the issues you were having where you weren't having that communication that was happening. So my question is, can it be the the symptom that caused the marriage not to work also play out in the fact that you didn't see it happening, but it was happening anyway? It takes two to tango. So that's my question. Can it, okay. is it possible that the signs were there? You were just unaware and then you were so hurt by the fact that it felt like a shock, even though maybe the signs were there. And I'm coming from a place of when people go get divorced, they're usually past saving the marriage. That's where my question is coming from. Like, how can it be that you really had no idea? Oh, okay. So I'll answer that. First of all, as I, if you recall, I mentioned before that in hindsight, I could have seen reasons for her wanting to get divorced. I could have also seen reasons for me wanting to get divorced. The question is, what is the real breaking point? And what's shocking today is that the modern day breaking point is a lot lower than it was historically. Meaning, Do you know why? Do you know why? I've done uh, some research on that. Yes. People have a greater expectation today for perfection of marriage. There are various different reasons. A lot of it has to do, um, I'm interested in knowing if modern feminism is one of them, whereas a woman's role play, a woman was subject to being the under the title of a man and being the property of a man. And today there's a lot of gender equality in the divorce process, meaning women today find that they want to be happy to a certain extent. And if they're not happy enough, that's good enough of a reason to get divorced. There are also, there are a lot of topics which are being discussed today, which were never historically discussed. And such as the term, the the number one term, which I always hear 
is verbal abuse and emotional abuse, which can, which from, which is a subjective, to some extent is subjective to each individual. So some people may be hurt more than others, but they use that as a reason. You don't think it's a valid reason? I think it's a valid reason, but the question is realistically, there are ups and downs in every marriage, meaning some people may take something which you actually have the best intentions of doing in a wrong manner. And I even, I've even come up with the most hilarious statements that in particular, like a husband can tell his wife and they'll be deemed as verbal abuse, like such what? as, oh, such as, honey, you look wonderful today. So how's that verbal abuse? Because you're basically saying you look very good today, whereas yesterday you didn't look good. Or honey, wow, like you really lost a lot of weight. So basically a wife is assuming that you're technically saying she's fat. Uh, there are so many different forms. And, and sometimes uh, someone may make a facial expression and he may even be unaware that the facial expression is something that his marriage partner sees as. Can I challenge you a little bit? As much as it might be unpleasant, I wouldn't consider that verbal abuse unless there's a power dynamic that's also involved that plays out. And that's one of the things, but there are other things as well. But if everything else is, as you say, perfect, and I don't believe there is such a thing as perfect, then these statements, so maybe they can feel insensitive, uh, sometimes to some but insensitivity, insensitiveness in itself is can be seen as a form of as a form of emotional abuse. That's what I think if it comes in a certain combination with other things that can be more abusive, if it's a manifestation of it or symptoms of it. But these sentences as standalones. I don't believe are considered abusive. They might be insensitive. If your ex-wife is starving to death because you think she's fat, that that comment can be because there's a mental instability. I, I can hear how that could work. But in general, do you have better examples? That's what I'm trying to get at. As standalone. There's a, okay, so there could be a disparity of the of being street smart versus being versus being uh, educated. So I was far more educated than my wife was. So I would uh, occasionally tell her, I can't believe you can't understand this. So she may have interpreted like as if I'm calling her stupid or, but I like, I never cursed her or I never hit her, but in some ways I, you I could be very articulate and talk in a very sharp manner. So sometimes when you talk in a very sharp and stern manner, it could be viewed as some form of threat. And that threat causes you to fear the partner that you're with because he may be, he or she in this case, but at least I'm the, since I'm the man, he may be challenging to you and you finding you find it difficult to contend with being in an argument with him because he's nice. He's saying everything in a very nice way, but she sees it in a very mean manner. So let me ask you this. Based on the stuff I've heard over the years is that it used to be financially speaking, plus stigma around. It was virtually 
very difficult slash impossible for people to get divorced because financially they needed each other. One household was more doable than two households in terms of just paying bills and being able to support two households. Whereas today, women are more financially independent, some. And not to say that all marriages are terrible, but in the olden days, there was no option. So perhaps people stayed in marriages miserable because they had no other choice. So now there's a generational difference just because there are options and it's available, not because the tolerance for happiness is different or the expectation for perfection is different. Okay. So let's tackle that question in two parts. First of all, today, the cost of living is a lot than it was historically, even 40 years ago. So that's actually. But people are making money versus in the olden days, women were fully dependent. But you could get by. What's shocking is that you could literally get by with one good salary 40 years ago than even with a joint with two salaries today. People are struggling today in the market, in the market field. I know many couples, which both both partners are working and they're barely making they're barely making ends meet. And okay, so let me rephrase this again. Okay. If the women had no money to their name because their husbands were earning the money and they had no access to it, them ending the marriage did not seem like a possibility because they would be on the street the next day versus today, even though it's super expensive, women have a way to earn money. So there is an option of struggling, but struggling on your own, especially if you're struggling financially in a marriage anyway. And it's extra cause to stress. Okay. So from that perspective, okay. So the fact that women do work today, I don't think it's just the fact that women do work today, which is the real issue. I just think that it's socially a lot more acceptable today to even to get divorced. Uh, getting divorced was, you were stigmatized historically. I don't think it's just because they work, but they also realize, and this is one of the problems that manifest during the divorce process today is not only do women work, but in particular where custodial factors come in and child support comes in and even the historical factor in the United States, where as a man needs to pay alimony, in Israel, there is no alimony, but the alimony historically was to send a wife off and live okay because he needed to support her because he was still continuing to work. Whereas today, the whole alimony is, is odd because you have women who also who may even be the primary earner in the household. And, and they're um, usually the ones paying alimony to the secondary. It depends. It's but the but it's not the same as a man to a woman. It's technically like I'll put it to you this way. In Israeli law, at least even in, in Israel, it's notable that. Even when a woman needs to pay child support, which is a rare case, it's amazing that no matter what her earning is, she will pay less than a man would if the if the cards were flipped. And there's no actual explanation for that. How do you know that? You compared the numbers? Oh, the numbers are known. Yeah. They, the numbers. What about women getting paid less? For the same jobs that men get paid. Oh, that's more? that's no, that's but a, would you that's, say it counters each other out? Um, if we're talking yeah, about I, it 
unfairness. Does that? Oh, unfairness- uh, we're not. I'm not saying there's unfairness. I, uh, w- realistically, I'm not saying there aren't things which aren't fair within the society that we're not that we're not that I'm not aware of. I'm aware of that. But you're taking things that that are in in society, and we're talking realistically about divorce. And there are, for argument's sake, whereas women may get paid less for the same job, which is theoretically possible and probably does uh, does occur. It's not to say that, for argument's sake, in a couple, a woman may be earning more than her husband or like she may be a doctor and he may be a teacher. And if she's like under the assumption that a doctor makes more than the standard teacher, even if she's paying, getting paid less, she's still earning substantially more than her husband. So in Israel, in as long as the woman has primary custody, what's quite odd is that the man will still need to pay child support regardless of his income, meaning his, his, the only time that would change is if he had joint custody, which isn't even by law, it's by a Supreme Court decision that was made four years ago that stipulated that in if a parent shares equal, roughly equal timeshare and the wife earns equal or more than her husband's, then each partner will allocate their own funds to raising the children, meaning there won't be the mother won't be the wife won't be paying her husband child support, but they will be reliant on their own income. Whereas in any other case, except for cases where the man has primary custody, will the man have to pay a woman child support? So is in the United States, if a woman earns uh, $30,000 a month, and I'm trying to portray this to the United States, and she's earning $360,000 a year, and a man is earning $100,000 a year, he would have to pay from his $100,000 child support as long as she had, as long as they did not have joint custody and she was a primary custodian. And that sounds unfair? Yes, because realistically, there's still, what happens is there's still a base cost of living. And you- But what happens you, to the fact that you participate in making this child and whether you're making a million dollars or $5, you are somewhat responsible for supporting this child in any way you can, even if it's symbolic compared to what the spouse is earning. Okay. So I would like to move on to a few things that I brought up, but we didn't go into them. So can we do that? Or did you want to address this? Yeah, I'm fine. So you said there are issues with women working. What are the issues with women being in the workforce? First of all, the, it's not just women being the fact that women are in the workforce. They take into account that when they do get divorced, they actually have the means to support themselves. So it gives them the opportunity to state, to think to themselves, if I'm getting divorced, I have my income and they automatically ascertain that my husband will have to pay me in the United States alimony and child support. So basically I can rely on the fact that I'm being supported. Do you know that most women who go through the Jewish divorce process give up any idea of alimony hundred percent and sometimes totally child support, they completely give that up and they're encouraged by the Basins to do that. So there's no even possibility of get refusal. Oh, because of the threat of becoming a Naguna. Oh, I can tell you where I could even uh, the truth of the matter was that realistically, I can I'm interested in how that actually plays out in the uh, in the United States. But what here what happens at least here is 
that the Basin just merely goes after the guy. They threaten him by sanctions and jail. And the women at the same time are told to give everything up to get that get. That's the catch word. But they are. I've spoken to so many women and because they have to do everything they can to get that get. I I can't speak to your specific situation. What I'm hearing from the women is they're coming in with less cards than the men and they want to be Oh, there's a, I'm not saying here's the way I, I would term it in this. What's it called? I would term it in this in this way. And I stipulate this to a lot of people. There's there are mediators out there and there are practical attorneys out there. What anything that I term, I would term any man. And, and I say this straight out loud, who's not willing, willing to reach what would be considered amicable financial, what's amicably financial correct in an amicable manner and custodial manner and asking for a disproportionate amount for what would normally be seen by a mediator for a woman to give up would infer that that he is taking advantage of the get issue. And I feel bad for those women. But what I find is that at least, and this is the what this is the many cases that I know of, is that the many men are willing to reach that amicable situation and the women are fighting it. So I have a question for you because you said you're trying to reach the amicable solution. However, there were still two solutions you were seeking and they were contradicting. One was custody issues and one was saving the marriage, in which case there is no custody issues. So one is accepting a divorce. One isn't accepting divorce. So where can there be amicable resolutions when you're not even finalized on what the goal is for you? What's oh, the- the, OK, so there was the initial goal was to work on the marriage because the get itself should not be coerced. So even if you weren't literally at even if you weren't literally expecting this whole divorce proceeding to to, turn, to come about, you should have it within your right to still go to see a therapist together. And there should be what is called an act of shalom bayit, meaning you should be able to work on the marriage. Just because one party wants to get divorced doesn't mean that divorce has to evacuate. And that's one of the problems which I find today is problematic because it's not like a lot of people have this idea that the that post divorce is going to be something great and it not it isn't necessarily really that way in many cases it's actually a lot worse but you just feel that you want to get out of the the relationship or the marriage that you're that you're in so what i initially said was and this is how i came across what i initially said was that in order for me to give a the get properly, I said, let's work on a two-phase situation. Let's try to work on the relationship and make sure the in the same process that the kids aren't affected by it. And I even offered to submit the get ahead of time so that the, the get wouldn't even be used as a clause, like I, that, that I wasn't even withholding the get. The, here's the get you can have. In four months from now, if she still wants to get, the get is still waiting here in the basement. The only thing I said was that at the end of the process, if she still wants to get, then the custodial issue, joint custody, which to me is absolutely amicable. There's nothing, it's not, I didn't ask for 51%. I didn't ask for, I didn't ask for 75%. All I said was, 
I want the, I want to have this, I deserve the same right to raise my kids in the marriage. However, when it later on became apparent that she was adamant about obtaining the divorce. So in my personal case, there was something very strange that happened. You're technically not supposed to conditionalize, as you said, you shouldn't tell women that they need to give up something. Like you said, they, they were forced to give up many things, like in, uh, they were forced to, that the base in America forces women to give up their alimony and so forth. In Israel or, as well. There's no alimony in Israel. I know, way. but there are other there's things no. that the women may have to give up. Okay. It's the first okay, so, thing well, to go. Wait, I, can, I can deal with each of the topics, like the Cuba, if you want, I'll get into that topic. But in my case, was I just say, I just stipulated to the court, I said, so when I realized that she was adamant about getting divorced. So what happened was that in the family court proceeding, what basically happened was it turned out that my wife was never allowed to remove the kids from our joint household. So I merely stipulated, I told the rabbinical court, I said, look, I can't conditionalize a, a term on the gate because I don't want her screaming that she had to give up even like her full custody of the kids. What I basically stipulated was, okay, so you weren't allowed to remove the kids from the house. Here's the get. I will raise, I, you can drop off the kids by my house, which you illegally removed from our house, and we can continue this battle. But we're not going to continue this battle with me having to fight a, an uphold custodial battle when you illegally uh, obtain technical custody of the children. So there was no financial aspect. There was no get aspect, and there was no even technical custodial aspect. However, in order to even leave that situation, because I didn't want it to appear that she had to give up the kids, even in that way, I said, let's just finish off with having a joint custody matter. And that was the one thing that, which was, which I felt at least was really unfair in my case, because what happened was, is when it came to the giving the get, the sanctions are only placed upon the man, where there are no sanctions against a mother. And that is where one of the problems that her, in particular, at least in Israeli society, that women don't get punished for almost anything. I'm not talking about the outcome of the divorce. I'm talking about they don't get punished for, in Israel, there is no, a woman will not, uh, even, it, even if a woman makes an absolute false allegation, the, 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 the incident didn't even occur. She will not stand trial for making this false allegation. There, in the United States, there's, there's case law today for parental alienation for mothers being sent to jail. And this was occurring during my entire divorce process. That was basically what was really a key factor. It wasn't just a custodial issue. It was a, it was a parental alienation issue, which was going on in the process. And I said, I don't feel that I have to deal with it. I said, and what I basically stipulated, as I stated before, I said, if you want out of the marriage, then here's to get, I cannot hold on to it anymore, but it does not include the children. And even the rabbi of the community once said that. And one of the most amazing aspects in my personal case was that the rabbi called us both in for a meeting and he looked at me and he says, look, she apparently doesn't want to stay with you. So you should give her the get because what's here really to hold on, even without a burden of proof, almost eight or uh, about 
nine months have passed. And then he looked at her and he said, on the other hand, the get does not include the children. You're not divorced. Your husband is not divorcing the children. So I told the rabbi, I said, fine. So here's the get. You be my messenger. And you can take any other rabbi and you can have the get and she can move to wherever she wishes to, except without the children. And when she heard that, let's just put it to you this way. The curse words were not, were very quick to follow. And she stormed out of the, she stormed out of the, out of the room. And basically one of the advisors or, or sadly today, whereas I know there's a perception from your end of women giving up a lot of things, but the, the issue of the get refusal issue in some cases are in many, in, at least in many cases, are women not willing to come to terms with what the man wants, even when it's amicable. So I, if I were to actually assess the numbers of women who are truly forced to give up things which are more than what amicably you deserve, I would consider it to be a minority. I'm talking about before anything happens, women being advised, just give everything up that you can so you're not even in the situation to begin with. I'm not talking about after the process. I'm talking about preliminary, like prerequisite, give everything up just to not have anything but the get on the table. We have a few more things I want to touch upon before we end. Divorce is not a new thing. It's been a part of the Torah. We have Gittin. It's older than a generation ago, it being so stigmatized. So going back on that, if a woman wants out of the marriage, why not just give the get and then deal with everything else after? Okay. First of all, I think that if a woman absolutely wants to get in the end result, you're eventually going to wind up being told to be given it anyway. After a certain time passes and a person makes their statement clear that you do want to do it, that they want out of the marriage, then basically it doesn't matter whether there's, there's a rabbinical court order, whether you need to or not. You, should, you just need to understand what you would call the hint. However, the problem is that you can, you can stay in, in litigation for years on this process and you don't want to stay in some people don't want to stay in litigation for years. And when you take into account that the system systematically see, in particular in custodial situations, the mother as the primary or the dominant parent or the caring parent, and which causes a major problem uh, in, a, in a custody issue, if you're a guy, then you really are stuck because you don't want to remain in litigation. So if, if everything were to be amicable to begin with, then I personally believe that a lot more issues would be resolved. And I usually use the case of what I call the six-month issue. Most couples can work on all these three matters within six months without getting the court involved. So apparently there's something else going on, which isn't being... What's not, it's the word amicable is the fact that you can't agree upon what the amicable is because you have a certain idea in mind and she has her idea of amicable in mind and they don't match so that it's impossible that they're both amicable. Amicable is not just what the man or the woman wants. When I say amicable, there are, there's like legal precedent and there are people who are mediators who understand what is truly amicable. And one of the things which is 
which basically there's absolutely no what's well, there's no argument about if the if the the if the custodial factor is something which can be easily amicable. If a person, if both, if the wife wants full custody and the husband wants joint custody, then he has the right to have joint custody. That's not, that doesn't mean it's not amicable just because she feels that I raised the children. And even if she was the primary child raiser and he was the the breadwinner, it doesn't mean he has to give up that right to having an equal relationship with his children further down the road. So that's something that can be, that's actually something which is easily achievable. In particular, some parties may agree. Some husbands may agree to have the wife being the custodian, meaning and having primary time with the kids, whereas the father has visitations. In some rare cases, some women may be willing to have the husband be the primary caregiver. But that's actually something which is amicable. And the other issue is realistically the financials. And there are specialists in the field who would deem what is equitable meaning amicable or equitable. Yes, in the world biases and in America, the assumption, the default is more equal. I know in Israel it's not. But I think what's important, and I've never personally been involved in this, so I can't really say it's a very emotional process. But what's important to children, especially when they're little, is consistency and living in one house half the time and living in another house half the time breaks away from that. And sometimes coming to an agreement that looks less fair or seems less fair just based on providing that stability for kids is important because kids grow up so fast. And what you want them to know when they're 18 is that you showed up on their birthdays and that you showed up at whatever their basketball games and that you were there. And it wasn't like you're my property and I want to spend every time you want to be playing a video game. It has to be at my house because I own 50% of your time because your mother owns shifting away from that, that it just sounds like we're talking about property instead of children. And finances are so complicated in marriages. They are so complicated outside of marriages. Thank you so much, Avi, for coming on and sharing your story. I hope this was a semi enjoyable experience for you and valuable. And um, sending you much support through this process. And I hope you find, you know, meaning and space for new love and a new life. Thank you for listening until the end. Please do reach out with your comments and feedback. Make sure to join the WhatsApp group. The link is in the show notes. And thanks again for listening to The Francisca Show, referring clients to my podcast launch business. And have an amazing week. See you next time. Bye.